Okay, good. <laughs> hey, you're not working up a sweat until you have to change your shirt midway through the service, my friend. Man, it is good to be home this morning. It's good to see you today. Good to be back. Thank you for the privilege uh, to step away for uh, a Sunday last weekend as I was with some wonderful folks from First Baptist Round Rock and leading a men's retreat there. I want to say a word of appreciation to my friend Stuart and what an outstanding job that he did in my absence and he always does a great job. Stuart and I had uh, similar shirts on the other day in staff meeting but he wouldn't sit next to me because he didn't want to, you know, everybody else to feel jealous. So you take your copy of God's Word. Join me in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19. We are just six weeks until and away from Easter Sunday. And so, but here's what I want us to understand this morning as we embark on this new series, The Road to Easter, that if you're a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ, every day is Easter. Okay, we're going to try that one more time. I'm not sure. Goodness. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are a believer, every day is Easter. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you can't celebrate that, man, your wood's wet. I mean, every day is a celebration day. The tomb is empty, my friends. We don't just wait until the calendar tells us that we can celebrate. We do that every day of the, of the month and the year and the week and everything else. And so that's what our goal is throughout this month in preparation. By the time we get to Easter Sunday on our calendar, we done celebrated six weeks in advance of all of that. So we're beginning this journey together. And in the Gospel of Luke, we find the, the only recorded words that Jesus offers to the city of Jerusalem. And these words are rather ominous. They're, they're pretty telling when you stop and you read over them and you think about it because Jesus has continually told them who he is, but Israel has struggled to understand that, to accept that, to receive and listen to that. And they couldn't wrap their minds around that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the Messiah, he's the hope of the world. And so Daryl Bach tells us these words that I think kind of indicate where the struggle is happening for the nation of Israel and the people and maybe even for us. Creation is aware of Jesus, but the leadership of the nation is not. That which is lifeless knows life when it sees it, even though that which is living does not. Luke portrays their rejection, the people's rejection as rather tragic and almost a, an indictment, if you will, on their lack of judgment, their lack of ability to see beyond what is right in front of them to who Jesus really is. Often, what we look at in the passage in our text this morning is referred to, as we told the children, to Palm Sunday. And we're a little bit ahead of that, but we're leading up to this Easter celebration. And our story tells us that Jesus told his disciples to go into a neighboring village. Go across the road into the subdivision over there and find a colt that's tied up outside someone's house and bring it to me. And it's not just any colt. It's a colt that, as prophecy is foretold, has never been ridden before. And so the story then moves from Christ as prophet to Christ as royalty and he takes his seat upon 
the colt. I like the words of Richard Venison. He says, lifting him on to the animal and then spreading their cloaks on the road indicates two things, both respect as well as a moment of praise and celebration for the coming king. And they would declare, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Would you stand in honor of reading God's word, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. We're going to read aloud together. Those verses will be on the screen for you. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olive, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and there as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Take your listening sheets and we will journey together on this road into Jerusalem. The road to Easter began with, the first thought, a parade to the cross. Not just any parade, but a parade to the cross. How many of you enjoy parades? I enjoy parades. Maybe a homecoming parade, a championship parade. My family lived in Canyon, just south of Amarillo there in the Panhandle for about six years. And we always attended, and my girls even talk about still, the 4th of July parade that the entire city of Canyon would put on and people from all over would come for that parade. Maybe you watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade and... You enjoy the Rose Bowl parade. Parades are fun. They're exciting. And all of the floats and the marching bands and the interesting people that you see in a parade. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem on his way to the cross and this road to Easter. And there's a parade and there's a celebration. And this parade here took place during Passover season when the population of Jerusalem swelled from about 30,000 to 200,000. Again, I, I picture in my mind how the city of Canyon would swell and people would come and everybody would go, where are all these people coming from? Because they would just flood that small town. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here. He is 
previewing the future prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled, but it is all unfolding in front of them. But you see, when a conquering king would enter a city following a war, he, he would ride on a horse. History, if you enjoy history, it tells us that when Julius Caesar returned to Rome in 45 BC, he enters into the city on a golden chariot harnessed not to horses, but to 40 elephants. But you see, whenever a king entered a city on a donkey, on a colt, well, that was more of a sign of peace, not of conquering. But the people roll out the red carpet for their king and they lay their garments down. And John would tell us in his gospel that they were waving palm branches. Again, how we get our name and the, the title of Palm Sunday. Jesus was fulfilling scripture that God had given through the prophet Zechariah 500 years earlier than this particular moment in time when the prophet wrote Zechariah 9.9, Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Now not everyone loves a parade. Not sure why. But those opposed to Jesus, they, they couldn't see past what was in front of them. They could not see Jesus as the conquering king. They cannot see Jesus as the answer to the greatest question that we would ever ask. The question that you have to wrestle with and before you leave today to answer. And that is, is Jesus really who he says that he is? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is he the hope from heaven who has come and he has entered and it is the road to Easter and every, Sunday, every day is Easter Sunday because today the tomb is still empty. See? But you have to determine the answer to that question. Is he who he says he is? N.T. Wright, who is a great theologian, great author, preacher, he would say these words, as we arrive on the road into Jerusalem with Jesus, the question presses upon us. Are we going along for the trip in the hope that Jesus will fulfill some of our hopes and dreams? Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise only as long as Jesus seems to do what we want him to do? See, the long and dusty pilgrimage way of our lives gives most of us some time, Wright would say, to consider and sort out all of our motives for following Jesus in the first place. Something we've talked about in previous weeks and wrestling with our motives for why we declare him to be Lord. But are we ready to not only spread our cloaks on the road in front of him today, the road into Jerusalem, are we ready to follow him on the road to Easter, which will be trial and death? The parade was a parade of celebration, but it was, make no mistake, a parade to the cross. 
Which leads us to the second thought, which is that the road to Jerusalem included on it a plan for a cult. The cult that Jesus sent his disciples to bring to him was a cult that nobody had ever ridden before. I like how one pastor said that there is nothing more stubborn and wild than a young, unbroken donkey. And so for Jesus to ride an unbroken colt into the city was a miracle that ranks right up there with walking on water. <laughs> Maybe you've seen some of these signs at like a, a dude ranch or you've been on vacation and you've gone horseback riding or things. There's signs that read, for big people we have big horses. For little people we have little horses. For people who are faster than others, we have fast horses. For those who might be slower than some, we have slower horses. And for those who have never ridden a horse, well, we have horses that have never been ridden for you. <laughs> I told the first service that I'm just going to go with the little people horse and that's where I'm going to stay. I have done a little bit of riding, but... You know, a donkey, though, when you think about it, is not a thoroughbred. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You learned that bit of news. <laughs> the donkey's not a thoroughbred. It's, it's plain. It's ordinary. It's not very attractive when you put the two side by side. Horses are magnificent animals. My grandfather had a very small piece of land in Midland and on it he put a small barn just up the way from their house and we would go and work at the barn and my granddad would allow people who had horses to leave their horses in their in his stalls now he charged them right and he would take care of them and all that but he, his one stipulation was that his grandchildren could ride the horses whenever they wanted and so I'd been up and close with some of these amazing animals and donkeys are not amazing when you stop and think. I, I don't think I've ever come across someone who would describe a donkey as beautiful or magnificent. And maybe you see yourself in that same fashion. Maybe when you think about a cult and you think it's not very pretty and it's not very attractive and it's not very magnificent that you put yourself in the same category. Well, I'm pretty ordinary. I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty short. Nothing spectacular, I heard that. <laughs> Amen. Maybe you think, you know, what could God do with someone as simple and plain as I am. I'm not magnificent. I, I'm not some kind of spiritual thoroughbred, God. I'm, I'm really more spiritually like an old donkey rather than a graceful horse. Well, there's good news for you today. The Bible says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one could boast before him. 1 Corinthians. That's good news. 
Because what made that donkey beautiful and special and unique and a part of the Easter story is that the disciples went to that owner and they said, the Lord needs this donkey. Now don't miss this right here because isn't it amazing that before they go and get that colt and that donkey, Jesus says, listen, you're gonna be asked a question and I wanna go ahead and give you the answer. When they say, what are you doing with my donkey? You say, the Lord needs it. And then walk away. Isn't it pretty cool? I mean, so I'm going to use that from now on. I go into Terry Pittman. I go into your office and you're missing something. Where is that? The Lord needed it. I just, I needed to take it upon myself. Underline in your Bible, the Lord needs it. Because I think God is saying to you today, and he's saying to those watching online, the Lord needs you. He needs you. He had a plan for a cult that had never been ridden, that was going to parade him to the city that would lead him to a cross. And God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for you. Ordinary, simple, may not feel special, but you are. God has breathed life into you. You have air in your lungs today and you are here on this planet in this moment because he has a plan for you. He has a purpose. The Lord needs you. Maybe you scratch out the word that says the Lord needs it and say the Lord needs and write me. The Lord needs me. God always uses the insignificant to do the significant. But here's the last thought. On the road to Jerusalem, we hear this song of praise to Christ. An incredible, joyful, boisterous parade on a colt and a donkey that seems insignificant but is so significant to the Easter story. And this praise to Christ, look at verse 8. The people shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest and then these religious snobs the Pharisees in the crowd they said to Jesus tell your boys tell your people rebuke your disciples tell them to be quiet and Jesus refuses to pour cold water on their wood he refuses to put out the fire of enthusiasm that that they had expressed and acknowledged and he says, if they don't praise me, then these stones will praise me. My friends, the church has been quiet for far too long. We have forsaken for some reason. We have lost the ability to celebrate and to be excited for what God is doing. We are down, we are not downtrodden people. No, no. We are joyful. And we have a journey that leads us to run and say that He is not here. He has risen. You know, it's possible that Jesus is talking about actual stones, like the one I used a moment ago. But maybe those stones that Jesus is speaking about when he says the stones will cry out, maybe those were the stones used 
to once again build the walls of Jerusalem. You remember the story 400 years earlier when the prophet Nehemiah returns home and he leads the people to build the walls using these massive stones and he puts them in place. They restore the gates on their hinges and put the doors back up and the walls and all of it had spiritual meaning, no doubt, in that moment. Jesus would say that he was the stone the builders rejected. He would describe himself as the chief cornerstone. And so he's telling a story with the image that they understand and all the stones that are around them. And I reflect on growing up as a child and we didn't have a lot of stones. We had dirt where I grew up. So we had dirt clods and they were about as hard as a stone if you've ever been out that way. Psalm 24 verse 7 would say, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up your everlasting doors that the King of glory may come in. And the stones of the wall of Jerusalem would praise him if the people didn't. And so this jubilant scene that we find on the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday, the road into Jerusalem leading to the cross and Easter is rather reminiscent of David when he was king in the Old Testament and the Ark of the Covenant and how that ark representing the glory of God was brought into the city. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, there is this great rejoicing, there is a parade, there is celebration, shouts of praise and loud trumpets and every six steps they would stop and offer a sacrifice and David is so overjoyed in the moment of celebration that the Bible says in a verse that many Baptists struggle with, he danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David, when he is rebuked for his party, would not stop celebrating. Instead, he would say, you celebrate all the more. You be more energetic. You be louder with your praise. And praising the Lord is not something we do on Sunday. It's every day because Easter is every day. It's an attitude. It's a decision. It's a choice. It is a life of praise that we offer. Charles Swindoll would say this. Do you possess an attitude of praise? The longer I live, the more I realize that attitude is more important than facts, than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, failures, or even success. Attitude will make or break a company, make or break a church, a home, we cannot change our past. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one thing we have, the one thing that you and I can control, and that is our attitude. And the road to Easter that began on the road into Jerusalem determines the attitude that we have on Easter Sunday. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he presents himself 
Not as a conquering king, but as a king who comes and brings the hope of heaven to the world. A donkey, insignificant, would bear the king of kings, which would lead him to a cross where he would suffer and die, but it would lead to an empty tomb. And because of that, church, every day is Easter. Let's pray together. For those in the room, in the house this morning, those watching online, the question that we all must answer is, is Jesus who he says he is? He rides into Jerusalem. He comes into our lives and we must determine, is he the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the hope of heaven in which he says that he is? That prophecy foretold would occur. And if you have never in your life declared him as king, then today we invite you to sing and shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes and changes my life. That puts a new attitude of praise inside of me. That can use the insignificant way that I feel to do significant things for the kingdom of God. The Lord has a plan for a cult like you, like me. Maybe you've made a decision to receive the grace of Jesus in your life before, but you have lost the ability to celebrate. My friends, we will not be silent. We will shout to the heavens and to the hills and the mountaintops. We will not allow the stones to do our job any longer. In a moment, we're going to stand and Michael's going to lead us in a song of invitation, a time of response. Our ministers will be across the front. There'll be wonderful people at the Welcome Center as well. If you choose to come, I pray you come in a sense of obedience, seeking the Father, declaring Him as King, receiving Him as Lord. Whatever decision it might be, God, we offer our praises to you. We thank you for the joyful honor and privilege it is to sing and to cry out to you. Thank you for the power of your word that has gone forth and we know will not return void. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would move amongst us and we would be obedient. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. You come.